magnify you tonight, Lord. You are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Lord, you are Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi. Lord, you're everything. Everything you ever said you were, Lord, you are. And we just magnify you tonight. We're so grateful for you, Father. Lord, we just, we just give you praise and glory tonight. Just, just take just another minute to just give him praise and honor him. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we magnify you. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. You are good, Lord. Oh, you're so good, Lord. Your mercy endures forever. Great are you, Lord. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of coming together again this evening. What an honor it is, Lord, to just be in your presence, Lord, and just lift up praise to you. Lord, for everything that you've done in our lives already, for what you've done tonight, for what you've done in past experiences with you, Father God, as we've, Lord, as we've taken you by the hand and you've brought us through, we just magnify you tonight. Lord, we know you indeed inhabit the praises of your people. So we know you're here in the midst of us tonight, Lord. Moving, moving, moving and operating in our lives. And Lord, we just receive everything you have for us tonight. We thank you for eyes to see, for ears to hear, and hearts that are open and receptive to what you would say to us. We'll be quick to give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. If you believe that, say amen. And a smile real big at someone. Let them know you're glad to see them this evening and you can be seated. Praise God. Glory to God. What an honor to be at a church where even, man, you get a sermon even during the announcements. This morning, Pastor Denise was doing the announcements and I was about to take a run. I got so excited. <laughs> Glory to God. And then Pastor got up right behind her and, and, and preached a good message and and I really got nervous because some of the things that he was talking about, I'm going to be sharing with you tonight. And I thought, this will never do. We're preaching on the same thing. And he's preaching it better than I will. So <laughs> what am I going to do about that? No, it was, a, it was a great service today. So so glad to be here and to be a part of this church. So, so honored to come up after a worship team who truly has a heart to worship the Lord. Isn't that right? Amen. Now we come in here and you can just, like you get into the presence of God and worship and sometimes you feel like, Lord, we can just stay right there, right? But I got good news for you. I snuck into uh, Pastor Bill's office today and I got his notes from last week about ministering to the Lord and I'm going to finish that up this week. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, I was going to say something about uh, Dean Tad. You know, he was, he proctored. Oh, he's here. He said, watch it. He proctored my first uh, sermon, like as a student here, back in 2006. And I remember I looked up at him and I honored the aged. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> in all honesty, I'll never forget that because I, to this day, I still have that sermon and the notes that he wrote on there because he was so kind about what he wrote. And you know, he, you know, he just made some notes on there to let me know that I had hit my mark. And he could have said a lot of other things because I'm sure I missed it, but he didn't. 
And I think that's so important that if you ever have an opportunity to do good or to speak good into someone's life, why wouldn't you? Isn't that right? And then tonight when I was asking him, I said, you know, how long can I take? Can I take my liberty? Uh, You know, how long should I preach? And he said, well, he said, you can preach as long as you want to. He said, Pastor Bill and I are leaving at seven, but just shut the lights out when you leave. I want to talk to you about some things tonight that I'm, I'm calling this message, and they'll probably have a better me- uh, title than I do. They did last time. Uh, but looking at life from heaven's point of view. Before we, uh, before we came here and we were, we were serving at Rama Bible Church, I, uh, I graduated in 2006. And, you know, I always want to say that my year was the best year, but I mean, it, it just gets better every year. So I'm sure every year it's gotten better than when I was here. But when I went out into ministry and we pastored a church, we left here and immediately went to pastor a church. And I don't usually brag when I'm preaching, but in my first week at that church, I doubled the size of that place. And pay no mind that there were only five people when I got there and five people in my family. <laughs> but on my resume, we doubled the place. <laughs> there weren't a whole lot of people there when we first started but we grew the church. And in that church and in other places where I've been an associate pastor or a senior pastor at another church, I, I've seen people struggle over the years in the same areas many times over. Different people, but the same scenarios. And as a pastor, if you love people, that really bothers you to see somebody going through something. And, I, and honestly, some people went through it and handled it better than others, the same scenario. People go through the same situation and some of them, you see them come out on the other side of it and they're better and some people are worse. And you struggle with when, when you see that in people's lives, but I never blamed God for it. You know, because knowing that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the scripture says Jesus is. God said in Malachi, he said, I'm the Lord, I change not. We know it's not on his end when we see those things and they don't measure up. Isn't that right? Amen, brother. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we know that that it's not on God's side, but really that's good news, not bad news, because if the Lord doesn't change and it's on his end, guess what? That's a problem. But if it's on our end, we can do something about that. Isn't that right? And praise God for that, that we can, you know, if it's not God, that's the problem. If it's us, that's the problem. We can make adjustments in our lives and we can change things, right? Something I I believe that changes whether or not someone uh, has success in an area in their life or failure, or you could say, Uh, going over or going under. Uh, Pastor Hagen said it so well this morning when he said uh, a God can attitude or a can God attitude. Something that I think makes the difference in that I think is the perspective with which we approach whatever that situation is. And I hope hope we'll, we'll see that tonight. But I think our own perspective on things that we go through greatly affects our outcomes. Now, I'm going to share a story with you. You may have heard this story before. Uh, I know I had heard it. I've, I've preached about it. I've heard other people talk about it. 
But the story about Roger Bannister, who was the first person to break the four-minute mile, you've probably heard that story. But in, in May, uh, May the 16th of 1954, until that date, experts said that it was physically impossible for someone to run a mile in less than four minutes. They said, some people even said that the, the sheer uh, exertion of energy would cause a, a human's heart to explode. But on that day, May the 16th, 1954, that's when Roger Bannister proved that all wrong. And I used to think that was the most amazing part of the story, but it's even more interesting. He, he broke it at three minutes, 59.4 seconds, but within six weeks, his record had been broken. And then within 10 years, over 300 people had broken the same record. There's an article in, in the Harvard Business Review that's called What Breaking the Four-Minute Mile Taught Us About the Limits of Conventional Thinking. You can, you can go online and you can find it. But it says this. It says, how is it that so many runners smashed the four-minute barrier after Bannister became the first to do it? Was there a certain sudden growth spurt in humans? Was there a genetic engineering experiment that created a new race of super runners? No. It says what changed was the mental model. What changed was the mental model. And so I, I believe that how we see our circumstances greatly determines the outcome that we have. You know the scripture in, in 3 John 2 where John is writing to his friend Gaius and he says, beloved, I pray above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Isn't that right? And you know, we say, yeah, well that was, you know, some people want to argue and say, well, that's not for us. That was John specifically praying uh, for his friend Gaius. But if John could pray it for Gaius and it's canonized in the scripture, could you pray it for your friend? Right? If he could pray it and it's a biblical prayer, then we could pray it. But he said, I pray above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Now, used to, this ministry uh, at one time reprinted these. I have a copy of the A.S. Worrell translation of the New Testament. And it says this, it says, Beloved, I pray that all things, in all things you may be prosperous and be in health even as your soul prospers. Brother Hagen, quoting P.C. Nelson, who was a, a noted linguist, he said this, he said that he considered A.S. Worrell to be the closest to the original Greek that he had ever read. And his notes on this, this particular passage say this, it says, It is possible for one's bodily health to keep pace with that of his soul and his spirit. So we could say uh, then that natural things can be affected by our soul or our mind, our will, and our emotions. So I think sometimes people, uh, when, when we talk about the soul, we understand that that is different. We do, certainly, that that's different than the spirit of man. Amen? We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And the Bible tells us that plainly. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, it says, The God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. So there's a, a definite division. Uh, it tells us in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It says, even, uh, it says, piercing even dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, which is body. 
right? So spirit, soul, and body. It's, it's vital that we understand, and this happened over and over again in, in churches that I pastored. We were, you know, the Bible tells us, how does faith come? By hearing. Isn't that right? Pastor Craig gets up and he says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, you hear uh, faith being preached. You hear the word of God. Isn't that right? It's building faith in us. So evidently, if you're in a good Bible church, if you're reading the word of God, then you have faith on the inside. Isn't that right? But faith, we know, has to be acted upon, right? That's one of the things that I love so much about this ministry is I learned here because I, I went to some churches growing up that they were some faith. They had a model of what it meant to be a person of faith, but we got into some error in some areas. You, if you went to a church like that, don't raise your hand. There's cameras in here. Your family might see you. No. I went to some churches where we, we had a, a understanding of faith, but not to the level that I understood it here. And coming here and hearing Pastor Hagen teach about the natural and the supernatural coming together creates an explosive force for God. I started to understand some things differently. I started to understand that faith uh, you believe God, you build yourself up in faith, you read the word of God, you get faith down on the inside of you, faith is there. Isn't that right? And we all begin, the scripture says, to every person is given a measure of faith. Isn't that right? And we know that it doesn't take much faith to, you know, uh, as a grain of mustard seed. We don't have to have lots of faith before we can see faith operate. Isn't that right? But we have this natural body that we live in and we have this soul, this mind, this will, and these emotions that uh, always seem to get in the way when we're trying to believe God. And I believe that was the biggest issue that I would see in churches was people were struggling in the area of their soul, getting their minds, their will, and their emotions wrapped around what God's word says. So my question tonight is, how do you see your current situation? Whatever you're going through, how do you see it? The, the perspective that you and I have will determine our outcomes. We can have a natural human perspective, or we can look at things from heaven's point of view. And I believe God wants us to see our lives from heaven's point of view. So look with me tonight at 1 Samuel 17. Now I'm going to read a, uh, just a big chunk of scripture. But, you know, if the, the, the Bible is medicine, the word of God is medicine, right? We're not going to get too much of it, okay? And I'm going to have to read fast because I don't have a lot of time here. And I know they're going to turn the lights out on me at 7. <laughs> Thank you for that rousing burst of silence. I, I decided I'm either going to be funny tonight or long-winded. So you make the decision. <laughs> Somebody out there got that. Thank you. First Samuel 17, beginning with verse three. Now, pastor referred to this, pastor Hagen referred to this this morning, but I'm going to read this to you. And we know this is the story about the Israelites and the Philistine army and David coming there. So we're going to start with, with verse three. It says, so the Philistines, I'm reading in the new living translation. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks 
to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, and he wore a bronze helmet, a bronze coat of mail, 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with iron, uh, an iron spearhead weighing 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted and, and taunted across to the Israelites. Why are you coming? Uh, he said, why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. And if he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight. He said, when Saul, uh, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Skipping down to verse 16, it says, For 40 days every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Can you imagine that? He comes out there and he says, I defy you. He said, you bring somebody down here. And he said, they fight me. And if, if this person beats me, then we're going to be your slaves. But if I beat them, you're going to be our slaves. And it says that they heard that and they were all afraid. And then it says they heard it not just one day, not just two days, not just three days, not just four days, not just 10 days, not just 20, 40, 40. Why am I emphasizing that? Because oftentimes you're going through circumstances and situations, we're all dealing with things in our lives, and when they don't change immediately, when we wake up the next morning and we see them again, oftentimes the enemy will try to use those things in our minds to begin to beat us down and go further and harder and further, and day after day after day, when we don't see it, we begin to struggle, we begin to waver, and we begin to vacillate, and I'm convinced that's where the enemy ends up defeating us in our own minds because our minds, our will, and our emotions get us so wrapped up in what's going on because it's coming out there every day, pretty soon we begin to be afraid. Continuing to read, it says this, it says, for 40 days every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread, carry them to your brothers. And he says, see how your brothers are getting along. Uh, verse 20 says, I better hurry. I, uh, I want to make sure I, my time, I want to get to where I'm going. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the sheep. Uh, and it says in verse 21, soon the Israelite and the Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and he hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers and he was talking with them as he was. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Again. Verse 25 says, have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family to be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldiers standing by, what will the man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, this is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother heard David talking to the men, he was angry. He said, what are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. 
David said, what have I done now? I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and he asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal the lamb from the flock, he said, I go after it, club it, and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If an animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine, for he's defied the armies of the living God. So I'm going to stop right there, and we'll, we'll go back to it. But I think what happens is we often fail because we're looking at the wrong thing. Everyone was looking at the problem instead of to God. Every day they were seeing the giant come out and they were looking at Goliath and he seemed too big for them to get victory over. And so the Bible tells us that they were all afraid. Everyone but David. You know, that tells me that the majority of people then will most likely get caught up looking at their problems. Oftentimes when you see people are defeated, if you can help them to get out of the mental realm of how big their problem is, how difficult the giant is that they're facing, if you can help them see that whatever they're facing is not too hard or not too big for God, pretty soon they'll begin to start thinking differently and that's when you'll see someone come out. You know, David saw that giant too, isn't that right? It says in verse 23, he was talking to them. Goliath, the Philistine uh, champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And David heard him shout his usual taunt to Israel. It wasn't like David just got there right after. And so he came up and he was just bold and a little arrogant because he didn't know what was going on. The scripture says David heard him. He heard what was going on. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they ran away in fright. I think we get so caught up looking at those problems that we sometimes just can't see past it. I remember a number of years ago uh, when we bought our first house in Paducah. I'm not going to spell that for you, but it's Quilt City, USA. We're from a little town called Paducah. And we had lived, when I was in the Navy, our, our first home was a trailer. It was born before I was. And I could almost lay down and touch both sides of it. It was very narrow. To this day, I don't know why. We got a, uh, we were young, didn't have a whole lot of money. We got an income tax return and we bought overstuffed furniture. And I like to rip the covers off of that to try to cram it into my house. And you could sit on my couch, Pastor Bill, and put your feet on the love seat. <laughs> it was that narrow. But we had come up and we were living back home in Paducah, and we bought a house. And maybe it wasn't the biggest house in the world, but for me, at the time, it was huge. It was about 1,700 square feet. And when we bought it, we got into a neighborhood that we really couldn't afford to get into, but the Lord just gave us favor. We found a home that needed some work, and we were able to, to do the work ourselves. And so we bought it at a good price. My family helped me to uh, put a roof on it, do some stuff on the inside. We got done with it had it painted, had a new roof. Man, it was looking good. And I stood in front of that thing one day after we got all that work done and I'm looking, I'm the king of my castle. 
Man, all 1,700 square feet. I wanted to go in there and lay down just to show myself I couldn't touch both walls. But I remember, fast forward just a few months, and I was working for the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and they had sent me to Washington, D.C. for a conference. And while I was up in the air, I decided I was going to look for my house because I flew out of our town, Paducah. So I'm going to look for my house. And man, I was looking down there, and I couldn't find it anywhere. But finally, I found something I recognized, a body of water that was close to where I lived. When I found that body of water, I was able to find the road next to it where I knew where it went. And I was able to follow it through, and my home looked like a Monopoly house. And I can remember distinctly, just not too many weeks later than that, I was doing some Bible study, and the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, Son, you remember when you were up there in the air, and you looked at your home, and it looked so small? I said, Yeah. Yes, sir, I do. And he said, when I look at your problems and your circumstances, he said, that's what they look like to me. Yeah, it blessed me too. And then he said to do something that I'm going to ask you to do too. And I felt real silly when he told me to do it. But I'm going to ask you to do it too. He said, put your hand on your face. So I put my hand on my face. And he said, what do you see? Just my hand. He said, move it out slowly. And I started to move it out. And he said, now what do you see? And I began to see see everything behind it. And the Lord said to me, perspective makes the difference. Your perspective makes the difference. And when you're facing your problems and they've been in front of you for 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, 40 days, and they're right at the end of your nose, they seem massive and they seem like they're not overcomable. But God wants us to have a heaven's point of view. He wants us to see things from where he's at. And when we see things like he sees them, all of a sudden they don't look so big. Giants don't seem so tall. Isn't that right? God wants us to look at things from heaven's point of view. A couple of things I think that David understood. I better hurry. I got about seven minutes, but if you'll give me eight, I'll take it. Okay. I didn't look over here because I didn't want them to say no, you know. There are two things I think David understood. Number one, that there are better things coming on the other side of your giant. There are better things that are coming to you on the other side of your giant. You notice everybody else was looking at that giant every day and they were getting afraid. But we go back and we can look at that scripture if I had time. And I'll encourage you, you go back and read it. David didn't ask the question about the pretty girl and the no taxes just once. He heard it one time and he said, tell me again what happens for the man who takes care of this giant. And he heard it a second time. And then he went over to some other guys and he said, he wasn't deaf. He said, tell me again what it is that happens for the man that defeats this Philistine. So three times he heard it because he was thinking about what was on the other side of the giant. Everybody else got caught up at the wall. They couldn't see beyond the giant. But from where David was sitting, he saw no taxes and a wife. Amen? The first thing that we saw was that David could see on the other side of the giant. 
his perspective was different. He could view things on the other side of his giant, and that's heaven's point of view. I believe this, if we knew what was on the other side of our mountains, I believe we'd be speaking to them. If we began to see things like God saw them, because from where God is sitting, he sees what's on the other side. And I'm telling you this, there are things that I'm experiencing in my life at this stage that if I could have seen differently a long time ago, I'd have fought with everything within me to get to where I was going. But oftentimes I let those giants stand in front of me and I just couldn't see past them. The second thing that I think that David saw was this. David knew that God was faithful and that God was on his side. He knew that God was faithful and that God was on his side. It's interesting that he rehearsed. It says, verse 34, David persisted. He said, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb. You know, I used to think about that like David was saying, one time a lion came. One time a bear came. He said, whenever a lion came or a bear came, he had created a habit that if they came, He knew that God was going to deliver him. He was going to go out there. He was going to have to do something. But if he'd go out there, that God was with him and he was going to be able to snatch. You think about snatching Fluffy out of the mouth of a lion. Right? And if that doesn't seem difficult, you and I are going to go to the Tulsa Zoo this week. And I want you to show me. No, I don't. I don't want you to. He was snatching from the jaws of defeat the sheep that he was called to look after. And then it's interesting, Saul finally consented. I always think this is interesting that when Saul says that, you notice what he says? He goes, you know, after David tells him, he said, when lions and bears and tigers, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, when they came, he said, whenever the, the lion or the bear came, he said, I would always go out and the Lord would deliver me. And he said, I would snatch those lambs. And so Saul said, go and the Lord be with you. I always think that's funny because he was like, I ain't going. You go and the Lord be with you. (laughs) And then he tries to put him in his armor. And I've always thought if that armor was going to do the trick, why didn't Saul slip it on? You know, he's just trying to help him out. Oh, you better take this. But David says, I didn't prove that. He said, I haven't proved those things. Isn't that what he said? It's interesting that when we're facing difficulties or trials, oftentimes we let our our friends or our well-meaning family try to convince us to do something different. I'm so glad I didn't let my family convince me not to come to Ramah. When the Lord was dealing with me, my beautiful wife sitting down there, it's always fun to preach with your wife in the room. You know, at least you got one person in your amen corner, right? (laughs) We might go get ice cream or something together. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But she was at a Bible study, and the Lord spoke to her her heart and said, would you move to Oklahoma so Rob could go to Ramah? And I'm so glad she did, because she left everything. Her family, her sister, everything that she ever knew back home was always there. All of her family had always stayed there. I'm so glad I didn't let somebody talk me out of it, try to get me to do something else, put on some armor that I hadn't proved. I had to stay with God and trust God. Isn't that right? David understood that the same God that had been with him with the lions and the bear, he said would be with him with this Philistine. 
The Bible tells us he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's always right there with us. Wherever we go, whatever we do, Jesus said this in Matthew 11. He said, take my yoke upon you, didn't he? He said, it's easy and it's light. And he said, you'll find what? It's interesting. He said, you'll find rest for your what? Souls. Your mind, your will, your emotions. You'll find rest yoked up with Jesus. You'll understand things differently with your head and the yoke with Jesus. Now, I'm going to share a quick story with you, then I'm going to have to close. But when I, when I was a student here at Rama, I always say this to folks, that if Rama was my college, then Rama Bible Church was my technical school. I learned so much from the people that I served with and I worked with. I worked in media duplication. I served as an usher, and those guys taught me so much. I mean, you, that's one of the unique things about this place. Man, you around every corner, somebody can say something, give you an encouraging word, because we got lots of preachers in this place. Folks who serve as an usher, uh, you know, on a, a Sunday, and during the week they're doing missions work somewhere, or, you know. But when I was working in media duplication, they gave me uh, a teaching one time. They said, we want you to hear this. And it was a guy by the name of Roy Sprague who used to be a teacher here at Ramah. And he describes this being yoked with Jesus better than I had ever heard it. And man, it really ministered to me, so I'm going to share it with you. You might have heard me, if you've heard me preach before, you might have heard me tell this story before, but it's always ministered to me. He told a story about uh, two horses named Fred and Bill. And he said he grew up in the country much like I did. And he said these two horses, Fred and Bill, he said were the neighbor's horses. But he had, their family had their own horses. And they did some farming. They, uh, they raised some cotton. And he said this is back in the days uh, when people still used wagons and horses to get, their, to get their crops in. And they'd been working all day. And they'd been putting their cotton into this, uh, this wagon. And it was looking like it was going to rain. And their dad said to them, to him and his brother. He said, boys, he said, put the tarp on the, over the cotton, over the wagon. He said, leave it. It's going to rain. We'll come back and we'll get it tomorrow. And so they put the, the, the cotton in the wagon. They covered the tarp or covered it with a tarp. They left. And that night he said, it came a gully washer. And if you don't know what a gully washer is, then you're not from the country, but that's a lot of rain. And it poured down all night. And they'd been working in the bottoms because that's rich, fertile soil. And so that's where they had planted their crop. And the next day when they got out there, it had poured all night long. And that wagon had sunk up to the axles. So they put their team on it to try to pull it out. And it could not move it. Couldn't budge it. And their dad said, why don't you go to the neighbor's house? And he said, ask him if he'll bring Fred and Bill down here. And man, they, he said, we were excited. We're just kids. He said, we were excited. He said, because Fred and Bill were draft horses. And he said, these are massive animals. And he used them for his farm, but he also used them for show. And he said that, man, he told us, he said, yeah, he said, I'll be down there directly. He said, you tell your dad, I'll bring them. And so he said, we saw them coming down the road. And he said, man, they had these big harnesses on with these big silver conchos. And he said, they looked like they were going to bust out of that, uh, uh, out of those straps. He said, just like that. He said, quick as a wink. He said, huge animals. He said, but he brought them down there and he hooked them to the wagon and he got behind it. And he said, he goes, all right, Fred, all right, Bill. He said, tighten up, boys. We got a load to pull. And he said, when he said that, those two horses swelled up. He said, looked like their muscles were going to burst and kind of leaned in. And he said, you could hear everything squeaking. And he said, tighten up. He said, Fred, tighten up, Bill. We got a load to pull. 
And he said, just directly, he pulled on those reins a little bit and they took off and they started pulling that wagon out. Well, they took a few feet and it was up a hill and pretty soon, Bill, bam, went down in the mud. He said mud splattered everywhere. He said it went all over those conchos, went all over those straps. He said, went all over us. He said it went everywhere. And he said, but as soon as he did it, he said, that man went, hold her steady, Fred. And he said, Fred just planted himself and held that whole wagon. He said it didn't move one inch backwards. And he said, so we thought he's going to take a whip and he's going to go down there and he's going to get on Bill and he's going to beat on him and get him up so they can get this out of there. He said, but he didn't. He said he got down there next to him in the mud and leaned up against him. And he said, hold her steady, Fred. And he said, Bill, he said, whispered in his ear. You kind of slipped there. He said, but you got to get up, boy. He said, we got a load to pull. Tighten up. And he said, hold her steady, Fred. And he said, you looked over at Fred. Fred looked like he was saying, come on, Bill, get up, get up. And he was holding the whole load. And he said, he never beat on that horse. He never hit that horse one time. He finally got it up on his feet and he said, tighten up, boys. He said, we got a load to pull. And he said, directly, he said, the two of them pulled it out. And he said, for years, he said, I've thought about that. And he said, that's what it's like to be yoked up with the Lord Jesus. He said, when you put your neck in the yoke with Jesus... He's never going to let you lose one ounce of victory. He's never going to let you slip. He said, you might slip, you might fall in the mud, but he's not looking, waiting to beat you over the head and tell you how bad you are. He's going to get right down there and he's going to whisper in your ear and he's going to say, tighten up. We got a load to pull. We got some things to do. We got some work to do, but I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be right here with you. I'm right by your side. Where you go, I'll go. He said, you follow me and I'll take you where you're called to go. If we'll keep our head in the yoke, keep our head in the game and realize that when the enemy comes and he tells us that what God says is impossible, nothing is too hard for our God. Nothing is impossible for you and I with him. You and God are a majority in every case. And if we remember that, The next time we slip, the next time we fall, the next time a giant comes up in front of us, we can say, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. I might have got my head out of the game for just a minute, but Jesus is right here with me. He's right here beside me. He's right here to help carry me through. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet tonight? I better quit. Praise the Lord. I'm going to pray for you a general prayer tonight. I don't know what your individual circumstance is, but as I'm praying for you, our prayer partners are going to come down here. And I want to tell you something about these people. This is what I think when they come down here. These people are anointed to do what they're doing. They've been picked by this ministry to be able to stand in the gap. Well, you know, when a church gets real big, sometimes it's hard to get to everyone. And so you ask for help. You look for men and women who can believe God with the congregation, and that's who these folks are. I'm going to pray a general prayer, but if you're here tonight, when we close this service, and I'm going to pray for you if you're online watching as well, we're going to pray, and then after that, when we close this service, if you need prayer for anything, you come down here. Men, you come and see the men. Ladies, you come and see these ladies. You let them believe God with you. But you remember, we're going to tighten up because we got a load to pull. we got a work to do. And Jesus is going to be right there with us every step of the way. And if we'll look at life from his point of view, where God sees your problem, it doesn't look so big. Amen. 
Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these people. Lord, for their willingness, Lord, to come together to hear from you. And I don't know what circumstances they're going through tonight. I don't know what they're facing, but I know what life is like. I know there are difficulties. I know there are trials that come up. I know there are problems that we face. But Father, you are greater. You are greater. You are greater than anything that they'll ever face. And Lord, I'm praying for each and every one of them tonight, my brothers and my sisters, that they won't leave here the same, Lord. They may have came in with their head down, but they're looking up to you, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith. Lord, they're not going to leave here with their heads hung down, thinking that they're in defeat, thinking that they're not going to overcome. Lord, I pray that each and every one of them leaves here with what they came to receive tonight. A word from you. Lord, if there's someone that's watching online tonight, I pray for them. Lord, minister to their hearts right where they're at. Let them know that they're loved. Let them know that they have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that if they don't know you, the scripture says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If they'll just call out, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. That with their next breath, Father God, you're there. We give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I went over a few minutes tonight, I, uh, but I appreciate you sticking with me. We love you. Believe God with you, Pastor Bill. Need to tell you anything? Nothing else? If you need prayer tonight, you come see one of these people. Be here on Wednesday night for Hour, to, hour of Power. We sure do love and appreciate all of you. God bless you. Have a great evening. Bye-bye.